welcome to the Xbox World Strongcast for Christmas 2011. It's a very special Strongcast, it's a very special one-off, breaking our usual schedule. I've got a very special guest, Matt Castle, with me here. Hello. Just as special as he always is, every, every single time he's always on Strongcast. He's incredibly special. Days. Yeah. And back from the dead, we've got uh, the genuine special guest, Tim Weaver. Hello. How is everyone? How's it feel to be a special guest on the podcast very you nice, hosted yeah. for a long time? Yeah, it's nice. Nice to be back. Yeah, I hope I've uh, got some interesting things to say, but I probably haven't. But. The thing is, the, the one, at least one or two listeners will be really glad to hear your voice on here again. <laughs> at it least is, one or two. It is, um, it is a, a one-off, but uh, <coughs> yeah, it's very special for Christmas because Andy Hartup's in Edinburgh. But um, apparently Andy Hartup's so posh that um, some, of the, some of the listeners yeah. don't like him. Well, I mean, we've always said that in the office, though, isn't it? He's he renowned for being he's posh. Really posh. Little Lord Fauntleroy. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing about Andy Hart. <laughs> he's uh, posh. He's always minds his p's and q's. Yeah, that's right. And he's always going on about you know his wealthy family and his mansion. And he has that right. butler at work that as well. Butler, yeah, rides, rides a pony to work. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm not surprised, to be honest. Not surprised readers have picked up about that. You know, yeah. well, we've known it for a long time. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, and Matt Castle went to Oxford, as you know. Yeah. Yeah, but have you ever just talked about your middle class existence, Matt, on the podcast? No, before? I haven't decided to share that with the readers, listeners. Sorry, or, or the fact that you've never been north of Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I'm not. You, I, you think that you think the north <laughs> is a nuclear wasteland? Yeah, I think the north is. Uh, it's like the uh, what's the winterland called in uh, Game of Thrones? Um, oh yeah, oh. above oh, the wall, God. north of the wall. Yeah. I don't go north of the wall, yeah. by which I mean. <clears throat> Birmingham. Yeah. We picked up on something earlier on today, actually. We were all sitting in the office uh, doing all that great work we do, and it became clear that Tim's made a, a pretty good good, you know, go of victimising Matt Castle here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sort of really, sort of, and he's sort of taking the uh, the pellet roll. Yeah, yeah although... although this, this is because you got, you played the game wrong, though. You, you should you should have smelled the danger and then <laughs> sided with him against Andy Kelly. Yeah. yeah. So you should have done it. To, to be fair, I mean Matt Castle uh, gives a lot more back than Pellet did. You can you can you can corner Pellet like he's like a like a scared gazelle. You know, you <laughs> yeah, you corner yeah. him and he's down. A couple of pithy comments and that man's down. Whereas Castle gives as gives as good as he gets. That's right. But I mean the stuff he gives is not funny, you know, but it's <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it, he does at least give as good as he gets. <laughs> So, <laughs> this makes me sad. You shouldn't take it from him. See, I hope this, HR's listening to this. That's what you should do: just file every single time it happens. Just file a complaint with HR. Yeah, yeah I send loads of emails, and they're like, "Oh, it's this guy again. What did he do today?" <laughs> and I said, "He called me Little Lord Fauntleroy eight times." Yeah, so. he says I pluck airplanes from the sky. Yeah, we are gonna. He, he picks up on your pronunciation of theatre. Oh, God. it's theatre. 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 It's theatre, is it? Theatre. They go to the theatre. You go to the theatre. I'm saying it like you're saying it. Theatre. Theatre. Not theatre. There's theatre. Well. Oh, let's not talk accents because my accent's bullshit as well. I realised I was coming to interview after interview after interview when I was unemployed and nobody would give me a job. So I started playing on the voice that I speak with now. It's not my real accent. I've spoken on my real accent in five years. I don't say bath. I say bath. But I've had to, I've had to, I've had to call it Bath for five years, so nobody picks me out. Mm. Snobs, 
Every, it's convincing everyone's a snob. accent. It's well, very it becomes it becomes a real accent. You tell you tell a lie enough times, it becomes the truth, right? Yeah. The yeah. deception. Yeah, yeah. Kaiser Soze style. Yeah, yeah. It occasionally slips though at lunch times. Like we've been in Marks and Spencers, and it slipped like once or twice. And it's like you know in the Nutty Professor where you've got the skinny professor, and occasionally like his lip gets really fat. Yeah. It's like that, except right, it's kind yeah. of a linguistic version of that. Right. Okay. My girlfriend gives me a load of shit when I'm around my nan because when I'm around my nan, I got I turn on the Bristolian accent and she just don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> so I have to turn it back on. I do it around my dad as well. It's only when I'm around my family I have to talk like what a regular person does in Bristol. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about uh, Christmas because it's Christmas time and uh, it'd be criminal not to talk about Christmas at Christmas time. I mean, we've got musical tunes, you know, Christmas tunes going in the office, bad Christmas tunes. Some good stuff too, though. Oh, we've been listening to, um, obviously, Dan, Dan Dawkins, our sort of editor-in-chief, has a pretty honking Christmas lineup on his It's better than John iPod. Strikes, though. I mean, this time last year we were listening to John Strikes' Christmas Countdown, and it was literally, like, it was the kind of Christmas music you'd hear in, like, a, a garage on, like, Christmas Eve, you awful. know? You'd go yeah, to, like, the petrol station, because you needed that fill-up <clears> for <laughs> tomorrow morning, and it'd be playing, like... So, someone covering someone covering yeah. Stevie, you know, shaking Stevens. Yeah, it was like that. Uh, the the Mariah Carey um, "All I Want for Christmas" song comes on. You're like, oh, I love this one. This is great. And then it's not Mariah Carey. It's like someone doing a cover of someone who did a cover of Mariah Carey. Yeah, it won't be. It won't even be like someone who was on X Factor. It'll be someone you've literally never heard of. Mm. The sort of CD you'd have playing in like a B Wise. Yeah, B Wise. What's <laughs> yeah. a B Wise? Oh God. Uh, is that one of your olden time things? You know how age creeps up on you mm. sometimes. It's times like this. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Christmas, but we're going to, and we're going to do a little spin on what we would normally do. We always do what you've been playing. So let's talk about what you were playing like 20 years ago today. Not 20 years ago for you, Matt Castle, more like sort of... Bear in mind, he's not as young as Pellet. No. 20 years ago, I was probably playing with my own, my own bodily fluids and substances. Oh, God. <laughs> we know, it's well, because I'm a baby, and that's oh, what babies God, do. Oh, that is gross. You're like, what are you, like 26? Yeah, well, I was a, I was a, this is, I was I was a, a big baby. I was a pretty rubbish six-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> Still in nappies. S- sitting in my cell, yeah. rocking backwards and forwards, playing oh, with his own arm. Oh, so, um, so for you, let's, let's we'll say 25 years ago for you. So Thanks. we're sort of talking like 11, when you were 11. Yeah. What, was your, what was your hot Christmas back then? What was, well, the, what was the hot toy you got? Before we came out today, I was looking on the web just to remind myself, because I'm obviously older than all of us, and... Uh, and I, it probably isn't 20 years ago. In fact, it isn't 20 years ago. But um, I remember 1992 being a great Christmas because I had two games to play over 1992 Christmas, Christmas 1992. It was um, Flashback. Ooh. It's a meal, that game. That game's a real meal. And when I'm done with Flashback, actually, I never completed Flashback because it got, it's a it big got meal. so hard later on. Uh, when I was done that with that, I think me and Matt Castle talked about it in the office before. Played Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. That's what I was going to say. Really? Yeah, so I was going to say it's my favourite Christmas game of all time. Great game. The only brought, did you, what did you play it on? I played it on the Amiga Five Hundred. Ah, that's what I played it on. Um, Thirteen discs, something like that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a lot of discs, and sometimes you'd have like a screen, and you'd answer a question, and you you come onto that screen having swapped a disc, you'd answer a question, <laughs> and then walk off the other side of the screen. You had to put another <laughs> disc in. Yeah. So it was quite a painful. I think oh, I've forgotten what it was called, but on the uh, on the Amiga they had that sort of storage device thing that you could plug in, and you could save a lot of. Oh, what was it called? Oh, I didn't have that. I just terrible had to, memory. I had to format save discs. Yeah, no, no, no. That, it's all over. Yeah, but you could, you could, you could put like a couple of discs in at 
at one time, so it would say you having to swap the discs oh, right. around all the time. But the problem was, is that as I remember it, when you went, when you went, you might be asked to insert disc two in order to go onto the screen. You go onto the screen, you do a little you know puzzle, whatever it was, and mm. then you go off the screen there and say insert disc eleven. <laughs> so it wasn't like it went in order, so you no, could you no. couldn't get like it's completely random. Yeah, I used, so. to, used to have to play it with all the discs laid out in like numerical yeah. order, like some giant mad like piano or something. Yeah. and then you'd be like grabbing them and slotting them in. I was actually missing a disc. Oh, as well, I had like two disc nines. Did you have nines. a dodgy copy or a proper? No, no, it was right. a proper copy, but I had two disc nines, and I actually had to send it off. And LucasArts very kindly sent me a new, sent me the correct disc. Right. But I got to a point in the game where I just couldn't get any further, which you know, for a Christmas game is oh, a great game, devastating. Yeah. But it's a. That's oh. again the toy with no batteries for it. Yeah, you, know, you, yeah. Get, you, get the, you get the battery powered toy. Yeah, yeah. I could play it a fair bit, and I was quite stupid as well, so it took me ages to get through it because it was quite a hard. There's some, game. T- there's some tough puzzles in oh, there. Which uh, which route did you take? Were you oh, were you f- were you fists co op or or brains? Oh, I definitely wouldn't have been brains. <laughs> that was sure. That was the most puzzling. The fists because it had that really ropey. Um, combat system it, yeah. was, it was a point and click game for those yeah, who didn't yeah. play it except it had like side on yeah, beat em ups and you had to stinking. click on the bit of the body you wanted to punch yeah. <laughs> it was like nightmare with these two people sort of you know but you got to be Indiana Jones and yeah. there are people who listen to this podcast who weren't born yeah, when, that, when that game came out and they're sitting there going you had to swap discs 13 discs, <laughs> 13 discs. <laughs> and like if you t- if you told that story like two, like 5 or 6 years ago it would have been baffling but now there's people sitting here getting final fantasy for christmas and they're like yeah i, I kind of yeah, it's I, I coming feel back yeah. yeah i feel this the, the deeper we get into this generation the more discs we end up spreading games across but our logic like i remember being the playground because we were all idiot well no we weren't idiots but it was the idea of like the more discs a game had the better the game oh, was yeah, you, mm-hmm. because you were like 13 discs when you were yeah. arguing uh, with uh, your buddies about like like games back then it was like format zealotry beyond belief yeah, yeah. we'd be like say, I'd be like listen <clears throat> Street Fighter Alpha, th- Alpha 2 on SNES is a 40 gig a 40 meg cart a 40 meg cart son that's that's like that's like twice the size of the biggest game on Mega Drive <laughs> yeah. it was I mean they were definitely well, I mean with the Amiga it was the Amiga and the ST really and like there was a couple yeah. of and the Amiga was it seemed to me like the Amiga was. I, I don't. I haven't got any sales figures to back this up, but it seemed to me like the Amiga was the more popular one because more of the kids at my school had an Amiga than they did the mm. ST. Mm. But you could get. It was a bit like PlayStation Three and Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty because most games came out on both systems, you know. But mm. um, but the guy there was Mister Pirate in our school who who literally <laughs> oh, pirate, yeah, who pirated pirate. all the games. That's so. the thing, man. I can't ever I can't ever piss on anyone these days who does any piracy because we we lived off of piracy. I mean, <laughs> those 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 formats though were. I mean, there was just it was just the done thing, wasn't it? I yeah, mean, I mean, it wasn't. You come to a school. You borrow a game off your buddy. You go home. You put it in the tape deck and you copy it from one tape deck yeah. to the other. On it was just section. no. There was no sort of protection on them at all really no. mm. I mean people might be able to correct me but I, I, I just I just remember he like, every day he'd come in with something else it was like I remember saying to him like oh I really want to play that God's game he's got oh, I got that in my bag <laughs> just bring me a disc tomorrow yeah here's our fr- throwing a cannon fodder while I'm yeah that's right <laughs> I really want to play, you know, um, uh, you know, Project X or whatever it was. No, was it Pro- uh, Team Seventeen one? Was it Project X? Anyway, the Alien Breed does it. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, be, yeah. You know what? Most of us Team Seventeen's games weren't that good. Yeah, I really liked. I really liked Alien Breed, but um, but I know hard. that a, 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 it was hard. A lot of people didn't like it. I liked. I, well, I liked the re the re the rebooted one. So they did. The, they released it and then they came back and did a version of it. I think it was Alien Breed Special Edition or something, and that was quite good. 
but um, but I know a lot of people didn't like it. I'll tell you what I thought Team 17's best game was, was Super Frog. It was a Mario rip-off. Oh, so with all the LucasAids it was good. sponsoring. I'll tell you, that's a good platform. I'm not saying it's Mario. Yeah, Matt. no, it was good. I'm not it saying it's good. Mario, but it's good. Solid little platform yeah. that. Better than Body Blows. Oh, Body sure, Blows. That was the Amiga was Street Fighter. Everyone's saying that's yeah. going to come. That's going to kill Street Fighter. Surely like, Worms was their best. Sad. Oh, no, I'm not a big, not a big worms, fan of Worms. I'm no. a bit, I'm, I am a big the, fan the of The original Worms, worms was, was amazing. Yeah, that's the, a great one. I always game. forget they did Worms because I never really liked it. Yeah. yeah we, used to, we used to play it all the time, but we used to play it on the PlayStation. My buddy had it. Oh, okay. To, yeah, I played it all the time, like sort of 96, whatever it was. Yeah. See, you guys were talking about some luxurious shit. This is um, talking about Amigas and stuff. I was um I was oh, uh, here we go here comes his Dickensian tale of woe. <laughs> he was like I was I had I had Indiana Jones Fate of Atlantis sort of coal edition. It was just coal with the Indiana Jones's face carved and into I had the to side. rub it in my face and then go up the chimney. <laughs> Am- Amigas, man, luxury. I had a I had a, uh, I had a Spectrum, and I had it real late. I had it like deep into '93, which was like way beyond that system's prime. I used to read your Sinclair magazine back in the day, one of the legendary games magazines. And the last six months of that Max life, they had nothing to review. So they just started reviewing movies and music and whatever they could like they think to fill the pages. The <laughs> games was still games Max were amazing back then. They just, just did whatever you wanted. Oh, it'd be, it'd be great. I'd love to. Like, if you haven't got a cover, no problem, just draw one. Yeah, or just put the team on the front. Yeah, just put the team, put the team on the front cover, a big photo. Like, uh, right. Or wearing Christmas hats or a Christmas issue. Yeah, all right, how's it going? Oh, what are they doing on the front? <laughs> I mean, imagine if we, went to, if we went to management and said, yeah, here's the new issue of Xbox World. Uh, yeah, it was just a photo of the team. Yeah? So, uh, yeah, Gears cover, it fell through. So we're going to put Mike on instead? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Mike's on the cover, and it's, uh, it's, 90, it's 1991, so we're going to sell 65,000 copies anyway. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Like, oh, well, it's okay. That's, uh, again, again, luxury. We got um, I had my Spectrum deep into that. that. But to be honest, there weren't that many games around that time, and like, most of the gaming I was doing was over at my friend Becky's house on her... She was, I wouldn't say she was spoiled, but she had like any new, all the new games and stuff. She always had, so playing Street Fighter and oh, stuff. Oh, Becky New Games. Yeah, Becky New Games. But um, I've got this theory like that there was definitely like a class divide back then between like the kids who, like yourselves, had sort of like, you know, a more middle class background, shall we say, and kids and people like me who would have a pot to piss in. And I was still running using a Spectrum from like like an eight, 1988 Spectrum deep into the 90s. And a lot of people made the jump to the Amiga. And it really sort of changed the job options people had going forward because like you, these, a lot of people got a real background in computing. Yeah. In computing with PC. Like my, my friend of mine had a PC from when he was like 12 years yeah. old because he was like, and he, and he knew how to do stuff with a PC that I never would have learned if I hadn't no. If I hadn't been like, what's the cheapest way to make a PC? And my buddy's like, make it yourself. Mm. And taught me all that stuff. Like, there's a definite divide. And that divide manifested itself in whether you jumped from like the 8 bit computers to Amiga and PC or from the 8 bit computers to consoles. Mm. And I jumped to consoles. And for me, the definitive console Christmas wasn't 93, which is when I got my first console. I think it was 94. Donkey Kong Country came out. Oh, mm. that was amazing when that first came out. I always remember playing that. Go, it was literally that moment. Where it's all, I guess it's almost like seeing like Crisis, or, or yeah, like seeing yeah, Crisis I mean, running on a console now. Visually, and you just look at it, you go, I don't need the next generation. Yeah. Because at that point mm. in the console, the funny thing is, right now we're talking about everyone's going, we need a new generation, we need a new generation, but the N sixty four didn't come out until ninety six, and that was in Japan. Yeah. It was ninety seven over here, and in ninety four we were calling for a new generation. We were saying we need a new generation now. We need a new generation now. Mm. You know, history repeats itself over and over again. 
But yeah, 94 was the year Nintendo showed Donkey Kong Country, the Shishinkai show, or maybe Space World it might have been by that mm-hmm. point. Just Nintendo's big showcase. It's actually uh, the Tokyo Game Show sort of is in that slot these days. And um, they showed this game, and people were like, wow, it's a great demonstration of your next-gen console. And Nintendo were like, no, here's the surprise. This is running on a SNES right now. And the, you know, the irony was that they didn't even... It wasn't even developed internally, was it? It was mm-hmm. it was developed by Rare. I mean, it was was it almost imp- unprecedented for Nintendo then to sort of farm out one of their yeah they did they, they did work with them on it. They did work they with quite a few. Oh yeah, no, I know they did. Was it DMA did Uni Rally? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So there were a f- there were a few, but to give like one of their key characters to a yeah, I mean that was I mean especially for a Japanese. Mm. You know, publish a lot of that. And this is in the days before, the, well, certainly the, any popular form of the internet. I suppose they worked with um, Argonaut a little bit on them. Oh, Star Fox, yeah. yeah. I think but they bought them in, you know, they kind of like yeah. absorbed them into yeah. their sort of hole for a bit. The thing so. about Nintendo, I think, is they always sort of respected tech. They always oh, had a, great, a, great, programmers, a great respect for tech, you know. Yeah. Um, in the, and it's funny that sort of Japanese industry has kind of lost that over these last 10 years because that used to be what the foundation of the Japanese industry was the tech. Mm. They were so very good at it. And they had a great respect for like what Western companies were doing, Silicon Graphics workstations. Mm. Bear in mind, like Nintendo, Rare had to buy themselves a Silicon Graphics workstation. They couldn't have done that without investment from Nintendo. So it's ultimate play of the game. They made Transam. Mm. They made a tick attack yeah. on the uh, Spectrum. They couldn't have bought that without the support from Nintendo. So they, they get this support. They get this machine, which is probably about as powerful as your iPhone is now, but cost a million dollars. Mm. <laughs> you know, Silicon Graphics don't even exist anymore. Yeah. They, they, they price themselves out of the market. And and other, all kinds of other problems, and they had this machine that could produce graphics the likes of which no one had ever seen. Oh, it was amazing. Do you remember when uh, it was? It was after that. It it was when they first started talking about the what was the N sixty four called originally? Ultra, Ultra, Ultra sixty four. Yeah. Still on the Killer Instinct loading um, attract sequence. Yeah, coming the, coming they, next year in Nintendo Ultra sixty four, and two years later it comes out as Nintendo sixty four. They kept going on about how it was would have like used silicon graphics, and it used to they used to. Um, they used to use a picture of Jurassic Park and said, this is how games are going to look on the N64. <laughs> mm. It's like, well... <laughs> there were certainly dinosaurs at launch, <laughs> yeah, but I don't yeah. know whether they looked like Jurassic Park. Do you, you imagine re- Jurassic Park with, with that, those levels of fog in... Um, yeah, that's right. Did you yeah. work on N64 magazine? Yeah. yeah. Were you there from the early days? I was there when it launched, yeah. Were you there when, it was, were you there when Super, before Superplay closed down? I worked on Superplay at the end, Because yeah. in the early days of... The sort of the first screenshots anyone saw from a legitimate N sixty four game was from Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Mm. Acclaim dumped a load of screenshots in the world, like, "Hey, do you want to see some screenshots?" And they were the worst screenshots anyone has ever taken to this day of anything. Well, they were like they were clipping, they were blocky, awful, they were yeah. so low resolution. But it was, you know, you had to run them because that was all you had. What? And then a month later, a load more screenshots came out, going, "Whoa, you know those screenshots you saw last month? Don't forget those." This is the real real screenshots. Yeah. He had to do a real furious back. What you've got to remember about Acclaim at the time was they were a total joke company. <laughs> I mean, the, game, the games they were bringing out were universally awful. All they had was the Mortal Kombat license, though. Yeah, and they did, but, they, but I mean, they didn't develop that. You no, know, that so. was done by Sculptured Software. The, the good ones were done by Sculptured. So it was, they had awful games, stuff like, I remember like one of the first games I reviewed at, um, when I joined Future was a game called um, Separation Anxiety. Which was this uh, Spider-Man stroke Venom um, <clears throat> sort that. of yes. side-scrolling? It was a, a bit like a uh, bit like um, Final Fight, that kind Street of, of yeah, Streets yeah. of Rage kind of thing. 
It was awful. It was awful. And an acclaim were. I remember going to my first ever press event. So you know you're new to the industry when you you get given the worst game in the world to review. Yeah, I went to a press event for acclaim at um, London Zoo. It was I can't even remember what the game was, but it was another awful game, like truly dreadful. So <laughs> when they they brought Shurok down to demo it, we were no one wanted to see it. You yeah, know, it was yeah, just yeah. like this is going to be a, a, an absolute clown show. <laughs> and they demoed it, and it was. We're all, you know, by the end, everyone was standing around the TV, just like, whoa, because what you got? I know it had loads of fog and stuff, yeah, yeah, but yeah. the weapons, great guns, transforming I mean, guns, yeah, the weapons were, you'd, you'd were whip out, amazing. You whip out your rifle and it would unfold in front of you, you'd be like, it was oh, amazing. And, and he brought it down. The PR guy brought it down, and he he had the cheat on, but all weapons cheat on. So he's just like scrolling through the weapons, showing what they could do. Mm. Oh. PRs get into it as well. Like when they realize they've got the audience on their side, yeah. they start going and check this out, and they yeah. really get into it. I always miss that. Like I, you always hear these, uh, you know, because I, I joined the company in 2006, and like everyone has a couple of anecdotes about the time everyone gathered around the TV to see X game. Mm. You know, you, you hear that. You hear like the first time Grand Theft Auto 3 was in the office. Yeah. Metal Gear Solid yeah. as well on the PlayStation. You know, I remember, um, yeah, Kitsy, Martin Kitts, who used to be on Endgamer, was uh, saying about. Everyone just gathering around this machine and just thinking, like, we've never what seen the likes of it. What would our version of that story be? Hmm? What would our version of that That's the thing. I'm thinking, like, I can't remember. I remember there being... Skyrim a had a big crowd. Yeah, but I it's re- more... Nowadays, it's, 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 it's like little jumps. I remember there being a moderate crowd. I remember when Edge first had Gears of War in, were playing in the office. That was well, I, I remember when, I remember we when Microsoft brought down the X, Xbox 360 with mm. Perfect Dark, and the whole floor was gathered around the... It was when we used to be... In this building, we were... No, not this building. Where were we? Anyway, we were in another building somewhere in Bath. And and we all sort of went upstairs, and it hadn't been... No one had, was occupying the office upstairs. Like it was the whole floor. Right. So they set... So I I, I I would sort of set it all up, and she came in and, and demoed um, Perfect Dark. And, you know, I mean, Perfect Dark, it turned out to be rubbish. But, but it was... You know, this it's was like the dawn of a new era. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then they showed uh, show Perfect Dark and everyone, like yeah. play, all the PlayStation mags, all the PC mags. Because the PC mags especially were all like very new sniffy about it. still has that yeah. power. Well, new hardware definitely I remember PC, power. yeah. PC mags were quite sniffy about it because they were like, oh, yeah, well, whatever, you know, kind of thing. But, and it what you know, it's PC PC hardware moves on very quickly. So it didn't, mm. I don't know really, but... But the, but everyone gathered round, so that was that was the last time I can remember everyone in the office stopping to have a look at. Yeah, I mean Microsoft PR'd that really well, actually. I mean because I think when uh, PS3 launched, I don't know if um, I don't remember like them getting. I remember them getting the machine in and us just hearing about it on the grapevine, just going in and sort of mm. gradually and sort of watching watching them play. But when um, when Xbox 360 launched, they did a good job of sort of drumming up interest in it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a shame you don't get it. Well, you 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 get it in like there's a little crowd for every game that comes in. Yeah. Every, you know any all all your big kind of like your AAA that everyone's been waiting for. Your Batman's, your Battlefields, your Call of Duties. Everyone mm. wants to see. What it looks like. I remember there being there was a little bit of a buzz when you had Crisis Two. You remember that? Yeah. Because everyone just wanted to see what it looked like yeah. on 360. You know, yeah. was it actually possible? You know, Battlefield as well had a little crowd too. Yeah. Battlefield Three. Often in the office, we get the biggest crowds when you get a terrible game, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's sort of cynical. You don't, James Jerome's but you don't really ripping the person. Yeah, but you don't really. 
you don't really get to see terrible games that much anymore. Not, not truly are a terrible rare games. Case. I mean, everyone says like, uh, you know, I said this in the latest issue. Like, people often ask me like, why are games like, scores for games so high these days? And I say because games are so good these days. It costs so much to make. It's like always mm-hmm. the score uh, always above average. You know, surely the averages should be like the most average game industry. It's like, yeah, but the average is so good now. Mm. It's like what's you know, nobody can afford to make a shite game, and those that do are making games that are so bad they're just they switch they're all the other way. And, other end of the scale yeah it's like truly awful games are a rarity when we were getting when we were playing games back in the day like way back in the day amiga spectrum like you you took your chances on a yeah, game man. Yeah, like definitely. you could you could get any old crap <laughs> and the screenshots you get on the back of the, the tape case tapes the screenshots you get back on the back of the case could be from a completely different format maybe from the arcade version yeah i remember you get that, chase yeah. hq and the screenshots would be on the back it would be Plainly, the arcade version. I got I got stung a properly proper job like that once. Do you remember? Usually, you're an Amiga. Do you remember a game called Epic? Uh, I can't say. It was I like do. a space. It was like a bit like Elite, but like the, oh, actually, yeah. Visually, I yeah. mean, visually, it was amazing. But on the back of the box, they had PC shots of it. Mm. And when I picked, because remember when Boots did games? You probably don't, <laughs> no, Matt, no. but Michael remember when Boots? I went into Boots and I was looking looking through, and I was like. Look at the screenshots! It's amazing. <laughs> games. It used to be great when boots. Yeah. Because there were no game shops, so what you would do is you would get games from Boots or W. H. Smith. Yeah. Boots. Or jo- boots. As, as in the pharmacist. As in yeah. the pharmacist. Don't forget John Menzies. <laughs> I never went to a John Menzies. I really. I worked in John Menzies, so that's where I got most of my because I got discount on it. Oh, see? staff discount. Yeah, twenty percent discount on it. But anyway, I picked up Epic because on the basis of it looking amazing. <laughs> what a bag of shit. I mean, it was absolutely awful. The famous game everybody knows to be like an absolute bag of shit is uh, Rise of the Robots. Oh, yeah. And only because it was so hyped. Yeah. It was so hyped up and it was like, look at the pre-rendered visuals. Unbelievable. Look, this is going to rewrite the rules of fighting games. Comes out, bag of shit. But like games back then weren't generally that hyped. There were a million games as shit. As Rise of the Robots, mm. they just didn't get the same that kind of hype. These days, every game gets the massive hype, yeah. but no game is as hit as Rise of the Robots. I mean, you look at something like uh, Call of Juarez, The Cartel, which yeah. we got in like I don't know three or four months. It has so a maybe. real bad. I mean, it's terrible, but it's like it's terrible, but it's still you can still play it. You could, you still, know. yeah, you could still sit there and finish the game and go, well. There you go. I don't hate myself. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, like a few years, few years ago, maybe even like as short times, like six or seven years ago, games were coming in that were totally broken. You know, <laughs> yeah. like broken across the board to the point where they're unplayable. So I heard a story about a Batman game on GameCube. Or- yeah, that was a classic one. That yeah, that was when uh, that was when uh, I was after my time on N64. But it was Batman of the Future, I think. Or Batman Tomorrow. Oh, Batman Beyond. Batman, or maybe, whatever it was called. Anyway, the guy who came down and demoed it was a German guy. Was it remember, like, Chem- Chemco or something? Yeah, it was, a, it was a German guy from the German... Because uh, they didn't have a UKPR. Yeah. And they came down and demoed it. And, uh, uh, readers, just prepare yourself. I'm going to drop a swear here, but I need to do it in order to tell the story. So the um, so he came down and demoed it, and he, and he was like... Uh, you know, they got hands here, and we we do this and we do that, and you know he's taking us through the game. Well, I'm taking him, not taking me. I've sort of watched him from afar, but and then oh, why isn't this working? Oh, let me try this again. So he goes back and starts again. He's like, here we go. So we take Batman down here. Oh, why isn't this working now? 
and he's getting more and more frustrated, you know. <laughs> he's like, oh, but let me try it again. So he goes back, oh, it's not working. I hate this fucking game. <laughs> and he throws... He throws his pad down. This is the guy that's PRing the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get that anymore, do we? No. no. We're too professional now. Far no, too it's, professional. it's just it's completely controlled. Yeah. yeah. It's, the, the game industry, as it's got bigger and bigger, it's got more and more like the movie industry. Yeah. So it's like if you want to arrange a little meeting with a games developer, I don't have as much luck getting an interview with like Steven Spielberg or some, some game yeah. developers. The, the, the developers are very... They're much more protected now than they they used to be. I mean, like you say, you could. But, I mean, that's because they're making movie, the games, which are like bigger than movies. Yeah, that's right. Bigger than most Just, movies. I mean, you hear. I mean, you hear PRs now are talking much more about stuff like our our next sort of PR beat, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Mm, like terminology yeah. which we never really had in games like yeah, five looking, years they're ago. They're checking their PR schedules, and you're looking. Well, we're, we'd we'd like to you know our next. Uh, well, right now, for example, I can you'll know there's like it'll be a game coming out late next year. And we'll know that in January and April and August, there's going to be a chance to, you know, yeah. that's when they're going to show the multiplayer mode is going to be shown at one of those events. And they're going to arrange a bunch of cover stories for another one of those events. And they're going to arrange something else for the next event. And it'll, it'll, just, it'll take that course through the year. You're going to try being in Nintendo land where this PR doesn't exist because no one, because I, I write a lot for, for Endgamer, um, and people just. Uh, they don't PR their Wii version of like multi-format games. So, say Need for Speed, the, uh, the Hot Pursuit, or the Run, or whatever. You know, there's a big PR plan. We're going to show you this. Oh yeah, cut. The, the, tri- the triple A next gen. Yeah, every we'll have every all... time there's something, you go, all right, Call and you re- you'll be like, oh, let's 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 talk about the Wii version. It's like we can't really talk about the Wii version right now. And the first time you'll ever see is the retail like boxed copy, and then you you pop it in, and then you just realise why. I mean, there are some. Just, I mean, people say games are better these days. They are, but you, you're in Wii Land. There's some, uh, but it's some always it's always been a, things on there. Nintendo front. It's always been a bit like that. Sort of quite. It's been like the Wild West because I yeah, remember we used to get. I mean, on sixty four, mate, we used to get away with some libelous stuff. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'd never be able to get away with it now. Like, I don't want to talk about it because someone will come out of the woodwork and sue me. Yeah. <laughs> um, back in the uh, like way, way, way back. Nintendo were like the most domineering publisher in the industry. Mm. Everybody knew it. Like Nintendo were the most domineering platform holder. It was always hard to release games on Nintendo platforms. They had the toughest cert. They took the most amount of money from you, like on the, from the from the money you're making on shelves. But you know, if you sell enough machines, people will come, and that's, mm. that's how it always succeeded. Of course, they had to rethink that when the uh, N64 came along, and they hadn't shifted enough machines to be that compelling to developers yeah. anymore. These days. It's like they looked at the N64 days and said, they said, what was our problem? A shortage of games. Okay, we'll just let everyone release anything. Mm. Anything they want. Oh, man, the things I've played over the last five years. What was that? I mean, kart racing? Animal carts or something? Oh, we just, we just, yeah, we just had a review. Um, someone just gave something like 7%. <laughs> you know, and he said, this wasn't like a joke 7%. He was like, I honestly weighed up everything, and the most I could give it was 7%. He really played it as well. I sat Jungle there, I, I, I sat there and watched it. <laughs> well, even the name, and they're, it's just... It's, it's kind of like if you're it's like a really budget version of like Diddy Kong racing. Mm-hmm. So already a budget Mario. Well, I say budget, but already a slightly dust yeah. Mario Kart. Primark game. Mario Kart. Yeah, it's totally a Primark. But this is like an impression of a Prime. This is like someone who's stolen goods from Primark and he's selling them out the back of a lorry. Yeah. <laughs> Once I was in uh, a Tesco and I watched a guy pocket a load of shampoo yeah. and make a beeline for the door. He just yeah. made it out of the door and just walked off. 
Mm. I was like, man, it's easy to nick stuff, isn't it? Like, really easy. Brilliant. And my, my buddy said, you know, my buddy was standing with me, he's like, oh, you must be a magician. <laughs> I, said, I, I said, why? So, what? You must be a magician. Why? Was that? I said, because he's going to turn that into drugs in half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and well, uh, that's when you got fired as the uh, Tesco score, store cop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> What was your uh, number one Christmas present, Matt? Uh, well, I, I again, I had Indiana Jones: Fate of Atlantis. That was that was absolutely brilliant. I was a big point and click buff, so like most of my sort of sort of older childhood slash teenage years, I was always after point and click games. I remember one Christmas it was Discworld Two on the PC. Mm-hmm. I was a big Terry Pratchett fan. Mm-hmm. Discworld Two, great game, beautiful animation. Um, probably my favourite Christmas game is I, there was one year actually. Um, I got uh, I got Grim Fandango on oh, the PC, that's good. That's which good was yeah. which was just abs- absolutely brilliant. Like it was still one of my favourite games to this day. And I also got um, a pre-owned copy of Pilot Wing sixty four. That's um, good. Which, uh, yeah, which was strong. So I had this sort of quite cerebral kind of point and click thing on the PC, and then Pilot Wings was the thing you could dip into and just go for a little like adventures yeah. in wherever you wanted. And... Oh, I remember getting so angry with Pilot Wings. Yeah, I wasn't very good yeah, at it. I've never finished. People the thing. don't realize just how hard games were back then. Uh, N64 had some of the hardest games ever made just because of Rare's involvement. Mm. But wasn't it the case that it was like it was Paradigm made um yeah. Yeah. made uh Pilot Wings and they weren't really a game company? No, they were they a tech made, company. Yeah, they made it under direction for Nintendo mm. and they just proceeded to make one of the hardest games oh, ever. It, it was play. it was easy to get like the base yeah. the base um medals and yeah, stuff, yeah. but the oh and the gold was it gold sponsor on gold yeah, medal, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gold medals were oh remember Blast Core? Yeah. Oh, getting platinum oh, medals no. in basketball. I fully platinum that game. Oh, t- and I suck at games. It just goes to show how back then it was there were such slim pickings in N64 mm. land. You made the most of your game. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm scared um, of Blascal. It's a scary game. The notion of it, like the constantly ticking clock. Yeah. Always up It's like that game is about stopping the worst of losses, you know, yeah. at all times. Yeah, it's, and ugh. you you've mess up. You don't get a, you don't get to do it again. You just that's it. You start the whole level right back. There's no checkpoints. There's no second chances. You go straight back to me. It's, it's interesting though. Interesting point you make because I mean, you're right that the the good games kind of came much further apart back then. So you did you were kind of um, predisposed, I suppose, to, to kind of like playing these games to completion. Whereas mm. now it's actually there's so many games that it's that often what I do is I look at games and think right, what can I complete. Relatively quickly. Yeah, that's funny, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like I've, I've got Forza sitting <clears throat> on my shelf. I love Forza. Everybody knows I love brilliant, Forza. Brilliant, brilliant game. Brilliant game, and you love it as well. Mm. It's been sitting on my shelf, and I've been like, I want to play Forza, but if I start, I've, I've already played like about ten hours of it, but I really want to invest in it and throw myself deep yeah. into it. But I need to clear all this other stuff off my shelf, and it's stuff that I want to play. Good games like El Shaddai, which is like a, a yeah, okay, it's a goofy name, goofy game, but it's a game I really want to play. You got Uncharted Three still sitting on the shelf. Resistance still sitting on the shelf. I've got um, the new Zelda, which I'm going to play because Matt Castle thinks it's awesome. You got all these things. You start weighing it up. Instead of saying, what game do I want to play most? You start thinking, what can I slam away first? Mm. It definitely isn't Zelda. I need to like really play that. got the new Mario on the 3DS. You know? Can I slam that away faster than the new Zelda? Probably. But what, you know, El Shaddai is probably like a four-hour game. So I could definitely... And you start weighing this yeah. up. And that becomes the, the barometer by which you decide... To it's grotesque, isn't it? it, the amount of games we have. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I've probably played about as many... Probably about ten hours of Forza, but I put it I put it down to play Batman, and, uh, and that's another honking great. That's game. That's a big game, you know. The actual story mode's 
I suppose it is quite big, relatively, you know. If you but went for all the Riddler stuff. I but I haven't done all that. Yeah. See, I haven't done any of that. I haven't done any of the Zaz stuff. Um, I haven't done any of the Deadshot stuff. But Your just, Gotham I, City is basically there's criminals everywhere. Yeah. Worst murderers yeah, right. murdering everyone. You're like, ah, Batman's, Batman's done with... Uh, well, it's time to get back to the uh, <laughs> yeah. Wayne Manor, I think. Yeah, it's like, oh, these, all these horrific rapists can wait for a while. <laughs> the thing with Batman, though, is that when... I, I sort of promised myself that I'd go back and do all that stuff, but I haven't been felt compelled to kind of go back and play play all that stuff. Like, the rewards for doing it aren't that hot. Like, I mean, yeah. There's some really good rewards in the previous Batman game for doing like the extra stuff. In this one, they're kind of... And it really wasn't. And I also felt like the last Catwoman level was a bit like. Mm. Is that the one where? Is that the one where she's in um, taking on Two Face? Yeah. That was bollocks. It's so weak. That was bollocks. That was the only way I got through that was by exploiting it because it yeah. was getting so annoying because they just keep respawning. Yeah, the bad I guys. didn't realise that until about after about twenty what, minutes. What a croc! And then you? I was like, what? Why? I'm sorry. Like, there's five guys left. Right, bang, 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 bang. Wait a minute, there's five more. All the way through the game, you got you got one set of rules. Yeah. You take a guy down and he stays down. And then you get into this room and they're like, nah, forget those rules. All those rules we taught you? Nah. This is, uh, this is, this is a completely new it's dump. You're playing by our rules now. I think I said to you in the office, I thought the, I actually thought the last sort of half an hour, 40 minutes of that game was a bit parp generally. I thought the story <laughs> went, went, went completely haywire at the end. And... Uh, I like the bit where you, you, you're going towards the Monic Theatre and taking out the snipers. We can talk about this now because yeah. um, we should say, if you haven't played Batman yet, just uh, skip the next like three or four minutes because I'm going to talk about some Batman stuff too. I like the bit where you, you know, you're taking out the snipers outside the Monic Theatre, but from that point on, I thought the game went... When, once you get inside the Monic Theatre, the, the, the story is just like... Just goes down the toilet. Well, I actually I don't have much of a problem with that. What I had the biggest problem with was when you get to the top of Wonder Tower... You take down all the guys in quite a cool sequence. It's an interesting take on it that you had to basically hang outside of the building. Yeah, that was take great. Take on guys inside. Yeah, really that was a really nice twist on the usual stealth system. And then I go and punch Hugo Strange off his face. And then, oh, it's, who's the mastermind? I know. It's who's, so... the, who's the great mastermind? Who is it? Oh, it's a guy I beat the shit out of yeah. six hours ago. You're like, okay, it makes sense that it's Ra's al Ghul, but... Wouldn't that be much more impactful if I hadn't met him already yeah. and beaten his face off? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I've, I've done, I've, I've finished that guy off and I could have killed him. I'm Batman, so I didn't. Like, what does that prove? I've forgotten about that bit because I remember saying to you when I came in the office, I was like, that was ass. Yeah. Because <laughs> the climbs of Wonder Tower, like you say, is amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It well, looks something beautiful. amazing to me at the top of this thing. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait for And then he's just there like in his glass, yeah. glass. <laughs> you do oh, oh, Lord, bad man. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I, I think it was overall a great... I loved it. It was a great game. I mean, I've said to you before, Mike, I thought the thing the bosses are generally not that good. I thought they were pretty good in the sequel. I, I thought Mist- Mr. Freeze was probably about the best of them, but I thought they were generally pretty, yeah. pretty old school and not great. But I generally, I thought... Uh, otherwise, I thought the game was good. And I thought it was. I still thought Pro- Protocol Ten was a disappointment. Yeah, that was also. It's a, a bit great wrong. hook having that countdown. You're like Protocol Ten. You're like, oh, whatever Protocol Ten. I can't wait what it is. And it turns out it's a load of helicopters blowing up Gotham blowing. City. Yeah, Protocol missile. One is uh, Hugo Strange writes a letter to Points of View. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and says this Batman that's knocking around. I'm not. And you're like, keen. is that your really your grand master plan? You know, all this. For firing a load of rockets. At yeah, some... and they, they spin it like, um, mm. they spin it like, oh, this is just the start of my, you know, I'm going to purge the entire world. You're like, 
You're, you're starting in this like <laughs> twelve block space in the middle of Gotham City, really. And why have you told everyone? Yeah, well, like, I'm, I'm now I'm gonna do Gotham first, and I'm going to go go over and do what was another city? Just Metropolis. Yeah, yeah, what, that yeah. blood. I'm going to do Metropolis. Do, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm going to do Metropolis after. But, well, why have you just told us? We're just going to. If that guy <laughs> and if that guy rocks up, you know, say you're working on the the, the, the town council or whatever at Metropolis, and Hugo Strange rocks up, and he's like, "I want to build a massive prison like I did in Gotham." Surely they go. Well, what happened in Gotham? You know, <laughs> didn't you fire a load of said, rockets? Yeah, at the city? you mean that prison you blew up with helicopters, and it would be like, yeah, it won't happen in this one, <laughs> you know. And then maybe you get away with it, and he blows it up. The third city, they'd yeah, be crazy. Yeah. Like you've got a terrible record with these giant city prisons. Yeah, like I don't, I just don't see that happening. No, I can't see them signing off that one. I'm calling out Rocksteady on that. That's ridiculous. That is. Hey, quite Paul Dini. He wrote it. Oh, yeah. right. I'm calling out Paul Dini. I think I think the Who? I think the the, the the story and the the script in that was <laughs> was not as not as good as it could have been. But I think the the, the actual construction of the game was great. Yeah, good cape. Yeah, that's a great game. I mean, you do feel like a total badass as you move yeah. across the city. Again, we've been absolutely like it's been a feast of great games this year. Back in the N64 days, I remember a year I was working at uh, I worked at BHS. Stacking them shelves. I mean, 97 maybe? Awesome. Stacking shit. Well, not really stacking shelves, working in the warehouse above the store. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah working in the warehouse above the store so that I could, um, I could uh, just make a, a few quid. That was during the weekdays. And on the weekend, I worked, because I was in sixth form as well. And I, in the weekend, I worked um, at a gateway. Like oh, yeah. When, when, yeah, when, yeah. When the shop was, it was a really small supermarket. What did it become? Safeways. Oh, Safeway, yeah. No, yeah, I think right. it became Summerfield, didn't it? Gateway, oh, Gateway became Summerfield. There were Safeways and Gateways. Yeah. 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 Gateways is quite a strange name for a, for a food shop when well, you think about it. It's, it's no stranger than Safeway, really, is it? Yeah, but Safeway as well, it's a bit strange. Well, right. Well, it sounds like the name of a building in Gotham City. Tell, it's it's like, to, tell it to Little and I'll Welcome be. to Safeway's <laughs> Prison, you know. <laughs> we got... <laughs> I was uh, working there. Observation. Working at the weekend and... Man, we took the piss. I only worked for three weeks. It's like a Christmas job. Did, did we not? Did we not take the piss of that in that job? Like any any chance you could get to not do any work, it would be like a, you just never do any work. It's great, but it was notable because I remember for Christmas that year there were no games on the N sixty four. Yeah, if you owned yeah. an N sixty four in that year, those pickings were so slim. It was. It was the You're actor like, slim pickings. What What can I get for Christmas? A Nintendo's big release that year. And this is both a course for derision and a course to go, oh, oh, yeah. um, was Mischief Makers. Oh, yeah. You know, in Japan, it was released in Japan as Go Go Troublemakers. I remember the review in N64 yeah, magazine, yeah. which like said this game is really hot. And of course it was hot. It was made by Treasure. They didn't make bad games. And that was like, you know what? I've got there's no games. So I, I have to get the only game that looks good. And it was Mischief Makers. And did I not play that game? Like, all the time. After Christmas, that was one of those days. Those games which was just like a day filler. Mm. You'd start playing on the morning, and then like you'd still be playing like nine hours later. Yeah, yeah. Because you could just you could every you could do every level, and it'll give you a ranking. You're like, oh, I can beat that. And you go back and beat the ranking. And I was getting A ranking on all levels. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm kicking ass. And that was when I did one boss so fast, I got an S rank. And I was like, there's a whole level above A. Because this was like back then, you had to wait for a magazine to come out to tell you all yeah. the new tips and stuff. Yeah. Internet was around, but I certainly didn't have an internet connection. Oh, it's in its very, very infancy, you know. I mean, but 97 was pretty, I was pretty new to Future, and we, we were still on those this crappy kind of Apple all-in-one um, 
I don't even know what they're called. It was literally this shape. I'm doing like a shoebox shape here. <laughs> and it had a tiny black and white screen. Oh, no way. <clears throat> a black and white... Black and white screen. Basically a word processor. Yeah, a black and white screen. And it was awful. And that's why I started on it at Future. One of those. This is when Future was selling 600,000 copies of official PlayStation yeah, magazine. Yeah, that's what I did a lot of my writing for Superplay on, was this terrible old... Really? Yeah, black and white... It was literally the shape of a shoebox. I can't remember for the life of me what model it was. No but... wonder all the writing was sort of so zany back then, because just it was trying to sort of counteract the, the 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 boredom of looking at that black and white screen. Like you had to put something fun on it. To I remember distract. the first time uh, our help desk brought round um, the the upgrade. It was a monitor <laughs> by itself <laughs> and a keyboard. It was like. Was this there was it those like those big blue IMAX the first IMAX? No, we didn't get those until later down the line. It was okay. like the it was like the bridge between the the black and white one and the the blue IMAX. Uh, I had one of those uh, eventually, but it was another Mac. I can't because I've always been on Macs at Future. I, I say blue, they did do them in a variety of colors. Yeah, they did, but I think it launched in that sort of bluey greeny color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but but yeah, it's I, I mean how, how you felt as a reader was was imagine what it was like making a magazine. I mean, we had nothing to write about. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no games to review. So that was why N64 ended up just having loads of tips, and yeah. and you know, got going back over games and and kind of re-looking at them and that. Sort of a stuff. badass readership though to draw upon. Like a Brilliant really, readership, really yeah, community. really good. Yeah. And the thing is, back then you didn't have Facebook, Twitter, no. all these ways to draw on like content from the community. You had to just ask them in the magazine and hope they put stuff in the post for you. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a very different. You didn't get like that instant kind of reaction that you can get from from readers now. You know, like we can post this podcast up onto Facebook and we'll get instant reaction from our readers, so we know whether it's gone down well or whether it hasn't gone down well or whatever. But but back then you had to wait a month to hear back about what the late how the latest issue had gone down with readers and you know what their responses were and stuff. That sounds like heaven to me, Matt Castle. How about you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I had, a, I had yes, I had a, I had a phone call just this morning t- telling me that my magazine was lame, <laughs> <laughs> which was brilliant. Yeah, phoned you up and go. I just wanted you to know that. Uh, I thought no, the magazine I, got really lame to, this to, year. To, to, be, to be fair to my caller, he said it, he said it was quite lame at the beginning of the year, but he liked it now. Right. So, okay. so we're we're picking we're picking up now. Well, you know, I work a lot on a, on a Nintendo magazine, and it's it, um, we're in our sort of transition period at the moment because you know it's the end of the week pretty much. Mm. You know, there's ain't a lot of Wii games coming out. No, there ain't so a lot you're having of Wii games. to get quite kind of creative with uh, with your feature content. Mm. The beauty of running out Nintendo though, I should say before we go on, that I actually love being able to get in direct contact with our readers. It's really nice to have that. Oh thing, no, definitely. That Facebook, oh, yeah, yeah. That it's much better access. Now. But what it has led to is a degree of frankness that I don't think some of us are prepared for sometimes. Yeah. Like when you go, uh, I hate your new podcast and I hate that posh twat on there as well. Yeah. And that bloke from Oxford. Mike's alright but he talks too much. Yeah. I th- it is good. It is good. <laughs> you know, it is good to get that but you're right. I think it's just uh, you know not not among our readership necessarily because they've always been very supportive of us or supportive of Xbox World anyway. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but um, but you know like I, uh, in my new role I do a lot of work with CMVG and uh, oh, and obviously CMVG you get, audience are you, you, just they're very vicious. like yeah they're quite vicious in their comments and stuff you know straight off the straight off the bat it'll be like this article's rubbish that'll <laughs> yeah. be the first comments rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. You know I totally shit total I, shit. I totally disagree with you. Everything you said in this article's rubbish. I've been threatened with death on CVG. Yeah? On my Smash Brothers um, brawl review on Wii, uh, I gave it 93%, which was 
quite a good score. And because uh, it's too low, someone said they were going to come around and cut me up, <laughs> take out all my organs and send bits of me to my parents. Well, I had mm. a, I've told the story before, I think, but I wrote a preview for Two Human in a, in a Xbox World. Mm. And a guy emailed, it was, four, it was 700 words. I played the game for 15 hours to preview it. Because I was actually having a bit of fun with it at first. And I, it, just, it gradually became clear that it was very much just the Emperor's new clothes. Mm. And that the Emperor was very, very naked. And... Um, I got a, a, a 700 word preview for Xbox World, which is kind of negative. I said, like, yeah, you know, if you had this on pre order, it might be worth holding your horses. I got a, uh, a 1200 word rebuttal. Was it from for, Dennis Dyack? No, it wasn't from Dennis Dyack. <laughs> but he, during that time, it could have been. Yeah. It definitely could have been. But I got this rebuttal. It came back, and it was, uh, it was like, you know, you're, you're, you're wrong. I think you're fine. You're wrong. And, uh, you sure it, it wasn't Dennis Dyack? And so I Googled, I didn't uh, return the, the, the message, but I did uh, Google the guy's name. And he was on this two, the two human forums. Right. Uh, and he posted the entire email he'd sent me. Yeah. And everyone on the forum was like, yeah, you tell that twat. What for? <laughs> <laughs> you, you give that prick what for? He, really he, passive he aggressive. He obviously didn't know, uh, didn't play the game. Yeah. He obviously knows nothing about it. That's the trouble with game journalism these days. No one ever puts in the time to play the games. Mm. No one ever does this. I'm sitting there going, I played for 15 hours. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, just you wait. You buy it. I'm not even going to... You know what? My warning isn't for you. My warning is for Xbox World's readers. Yeah. You guys can sit and you can wait and you can pick up the game. And guess what? Therefore, that forum was real empty a couple of days after that game came out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying like, hey, the game turned out to be crap. I'm saying they turned out to be wrong. There's no, no pleasure in life quite as great, whether it's Christmas or not, than saying, I told you so. <laughs> those, so. Those little magic words. Silicon Knights are a strange one as well. I kind of feel bad for those guys. Yeah. You know? I feel really bad for them. I feel a bit sad for them. What talent they had and what a struggle they've had this generation. Yeah, I mean... This is the people who made Eternal Darkness and Twin and, Snakes. You know, well, not made, they didn't make Metal Gear, but Twin Snakes is a, a nice version. Although apparently version Kojima doesn't like their version. It's actually quite good. Yeah, I think it's a good version. I was saying to, um, just wait to say earlier on to Matt, like the cool thing about writing about Nintendo stuff, and you know, every now and again in my, uh, my happier moments, I get to write about some Nintendo stuff as well. And you, you get to draw on this incredible like history. You get to, you've got this mm. wealth of just. Oh, it's great stuff to write about. You've got this entire legacy behind you that mm. the Xbox doesn't have. The PlayStation sort of has, but Xbox certainly doesn't have. Mm. With Xbox, everything's new. And maybe it's not, though, because, I mean, there are people, again, listening to this podcast who were, like, five years old when Halo came out. Yeah. Uh, sorry for all the swearing, kids. <coughs> we, uh, you've got this kind of console where, every, essentially, to us, everything is new. But you look at the Nintendo side of things, it's like there's it goes back further than... I'm old enough to remember. Yeah. Definitely, you're old enough to remember. And, you know, that's what the new end gamers kind of, kind of celebrate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, you can pimp it. the new end gamer a little bit to Xbox World's readers. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think, a lot of, I think a lot of the people listening to our, um, our podcast are going to be people who are kind of reformed Nintendo gamers, like mm-hmm. me and Tim. You know, we came from a background in Nintendo, in Spectrum, the Amiga, and so on. I think a lot of people listening to this have come to the 360 because it's like, yeah, the 360 does the things now that they love Nintendo for yeah, 20 yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, a, a little sales pitch there, yeah. if that's all yeah, right. Yeah, you're quite welcome. Uh, yeah, well, N- yeah, Endgamer relaunches as Nintendo Gamer on January the 5th. Uh, it's quite quite exciting. It's got a big retro bent. I this thing's got about thirty pages of retro content. Yeah, and this is you, this is the the most densely packed retro magazine on shelves, apart from the one magazine dedicated entirely exactly. to retro stuff. But what you got to remember is like you know, at Future and with all our freelancers, you know, we've basically got like an army of thirty people who, at some point in their life, have loved a Nintendo machine. Like everyone has a fun Nintendo memory. 
everyone has, you know, whether they worked on Nintendo Mag or, you know, even like Andy Hartup, who is like Mr. Sony, Mr. Microsoft now, you know, he, he's written some stuff for us this month on Mystical Ninja, and we got all this kind of crazy, you know, sort of anecdotal, lots of nostalgia, lots of really interesting making of stuff. We've got a lot of the N64 people back here. We've got Tim's, Tim's done a little review for us. Mm. We've got Mark Green back in the mag as well. You know, it's a Foreign real editor, kind of... Yeah, this is a great it's team. A good, it's a good celebration. It's not, you know, it's obviously, it's, it's, it's you know, Nintendo's in a very different place to, to 360 and PS3. Probably going to be in a similar place. Yeah, I was going to say. Down the line. Maybe not in 12 months' time. Yeah, and if you read, if you look at the games we're previewing, it, it's basically all the games you've played last year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... Uh, it's so it's yeah, it's all that's all old. But all, all, um, all of them will be slightly slightly smoother now. Slightly smoother, slightly yeah. I mean, it's uh, but lots of retro stuff. It and you be... able to take them to the can with you. Yeah, exactly. Just send them to the little screen and that's that's how it will work. We'll see if we use the uh, yeah. Well, the we, this is the thing. The big, the big question whether or not it's the Wii is the, is Wii U the first shot in the next console war or the last shot in the current console mm. war? Yeah, well, you know, it's you like know, the Dreamcast. Nobody yeah, knew. Yeah, no, we don't know. But. It turned out mm. with the Dreamcast that it wasn't either. It wasn't either of those things. It wasn't the first shot in the next console war because mm. the PlayStation Two was obviously so much more powerful than that. It certainly wasn't, wasn't the five part shot in the previous war because you know the PlayStation was sort of still ticking, but. Hey, you know, the N64 was still pumping out games until 2001. Mm. Like, the perfect dark character a year before uh, Halo, people yeah. forget. But it was very much this machine which sat between the two and still, to this day, is one of the greatest consoles exactly. ever made. It, was, it had this little short lifespan, like Roy Batty, burned twice as bright, lasted half as long. Mm. Like tears in the rain. Well, you know what? Speaking of movies, we've had uh, people on the, uh, the podcast talking about movies, and let's start with a little... Because, you know, we don't often get Mr. Weaver on the podcast. Let's... Uh, Mr. F- Mr. Films. You've seen the uh, you, you seen the Batman trailer, right? Yeah. Oh. That looks so right, that. I'm, I'm so that. there, man. I'm just going to move into a cinema next time. Um, me and Matt were looking at uh, the, the games, um, the films for next year yesterday. Oh, man, yeah. I lie. 2012. This, this year's been a real stinking year, though. 2011 for games. Films are like that in 2012. So, I mean, there are so some we got, amazing. We got a James Bond movie. James Bond, Dark Knight, Prometheus, uh, Hobbit. Avengers. Yeah. Um, Iron Man 3, is that next year? No. I mean, what year else after, is right? Coming. New Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Newborn. Newborn? Newborn. Yeah. yeah. With, Jer- with Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Oh, as Bourne. No. boring Jeremy Renner. Boring. Jeremy Renner, is he's, he's the upcoming star. He's the, he's the man of the moment. He is the man of the moment, but he's a little bit boring. I just don't think he's had a chance to shine yet, because, you know, unfortunately, the only roles he's had so far have been, like, crazy thug in the town and messed up bomb disposal expert in The Hurt Locker. He hasn't really had a chance to be, you know, like Matt Damon's been all sort of charming people, because he's been, you know, he's in Talented... Not not Talented Mr. Ripley's the wrong film, I wasn't thinking of that. Um, What was his breakout... Uh, you know, with Ben Affleck. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting, yeah. Jeremy Renner hasn't had a chance to warm our hearts yet because mm. he's been too busy looking angry at bombs. But he will, down the line, I think, be a, a genuine talent. He's meant to be very good in Mission Possible. Good fun. And he's got to be better than... Who was that guy in um, in a G.I. Joe movie? The really all-American... Channing Tatum. Oh, Channing... It's, something of, it's a combination of those words. Channing and Tatum. He's just terrible. Because <laughs> for a while, you know, every now and again, Hollywood decides, right, this guy's going to be a star. Yeah. We're going to make this guy a star. Like, um, who was um, Robin? Chris, Chris O'Donnell. O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> for a while, Hollywood was so determined to make Chris O'Donnell a star. Mm. It was pushing him so hard. And it just, the audiences were just like, Nah, it's all a bit, a bit vertical limit, isn't it? Yeah. And nobody, nobody <laughs> wanted anything that he was selling. I saw that at the cinema. Oh, Jesus Christ! And 
that it is, it was, it was kind of like that for a while with that Channing Tatum guy. You know, it's mm. really. I mean, they killed him off for the sequel. I didn't see him. I didn't notice him in the trailer. Um, he's, he's oh, not, who's that main guy? You know, he is know. in the trailer. Oh, he, he is. is okay. But I think but, the story I mean, the, the is that they all get, they the, all get killed. Don't yeah, they? the and Rock then. is the main star in the sequel. Yeah. He's got the Rock. He's got. That's another thing. Even if the next GI Joe movie turns out to be dog shite, the trailer's badass. Yeah, you should. Everyone should go and check out the trailer, especially the end bit. Oh yeah, the end bit's great. Yeah, we're going to go and check it out now, just for the bit after the after the credit bits. Come Expendables out. two. Expendables well. two, yeah. That's, it, there's some serious star power. Take, in that movie. Taken two. Taken two's out. <laughs> Liam Neeson's back, and he's I love, I love giving taken. people horrible phone calls. Don't forget uh, Underworld Awakening. Oh, oh. Oh. Battleship. Oh. Battleship. Have you seen a trailer for I that? Hear Mike, this trailer is actually kind the, of alright. The trailer is badass. Battleship. Battleship's a really interesting one because <clears throat> it's got Peter Berg directing it, and Peter Berg is actually he's, a quality he's, director, he's the right? secret good action director that everyone sort of you know forgets about. What's he done action. He did Welcome to the Jungle, which had some great that was right. had some great stuff in it, and uh, the Kingdom, which is good. Kingdom had some good action, and he did he did Friday Night Lights, the American football drama, which is which is absolutely. And Peter also do a Truman Show. No, no, that was, was Pete Weir. Uh, Pete, Pete Weir, Weir yeah. yeah. So I got my yeah, Don't get them up. confused. <laughs> yeah. He did Welcome to the Jungle and the Truman Show. Wait, <laughs> right, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know they're thematically I'll different. Does, but... I'll tell you what does look badass, and it's by a director that I think we all kind of enjoyed guiltiest pleasure in Hollywood, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. Yeah. I... <laughs> I'm not a ma- I'm not a massive fan of Crank Two, and also that what I was that one Crank they did two. with Gerard Butler, Gamer, which is which a was full piece un- of filmmaking, unwatchable, <laughs> yeah, absolutely unwatchable. It's I never w- start watching films when I started watching them. I switched off after 25 minutes. Utterly unwatchable that film. <laughs> really? Yeah. Never seen. It's it. got Michael C. Hall in it, Dexter, mm-hmm. and he is awful. Gerard Butler is the main guy. Butler is awful. But it's, it's all just... about game. You know, the whole it's, it's the whole kind of concept. It's like in the future, there's this real game show with with uh, like criminals are sort of controlled by teenagers playing like a Call of Duty war game. So the idea is they're playing with human avatars, mm-hmm. um, and it's about a man who escapes the game and goes on the run. But he sort of escapes into there's like a there's a, the same things going on with the sit like the Sims. So there's this big social network where like people can control these human avatars. And it's all kind of people dressing up as like clowns and sort of throwing pies at each other. Except it's really pervy. Extreme it's completely, sexual yeah, it's, stuff, it's a yeah. complete mess of a film. Mm. There's an interesting one coming out next year called Looper with um, Bruce Willis and um, uh, uh, the, uh, Nolan's favourite. Heath Ledger's mate. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yeah. Um, which is directed by the guy who directed Brick, which was a really cool was indie a film. Movie, but this yeah. is a film about um, Bruce Willis. Is basically he has to uh, hunt down sort of people who I think they escape from time. It's like criminals in the future who come back in time. He basically kills them with. So time cop. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, he but he the person he has to trace down, the person who jumps back from the future, is him. Is himself. So he has to try and work out what's happened to him. What went wrong with his yeah, life? Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's happened. I, mean, I doubt it'll be as good as Time Cop. I, I watched well, no, Time Cop the other day, but... and I, you know what? I realised something when I watched Time Cop. Time Cop isn't Van Damme's Time Cop. You know, we always say, like, oh, you know, uh, Under Siege is uh, is definitely yeah. Seagal's Time Cop. Yeah. But Time Cop isn't Van Damme's Time Cop. Hard Target is Van Damme's Time yeah. Cop. Was well, time, time Cop not that good then? No, it's crap. Oh, really? It's really crap. I remember it being quite good. Really, really, okay, really that. crap. <laughs> it's got a good, a good first hour. After that, it goes to that dirt. guy in it, that Ron Silver. Who's I like Ron going. Silver. Yeah, he's got it. Yeah, off. he's one. That, he's that rare. He's that well, actually quite common instance of them getting like a proper actor to yeah. play the bad guy. Yeah. You get like Joe Action as the hero, yeah. and then you get like a real actor. Like you know, it's the it's the 
the, the Die Hard thing. You always get like a quality actor to play yeah. the bad guy. Mm. Uh, and yeah, Silver's great in it. Rotten special effects. Really? Film. Ooh, rotten. Truly abysmal. Maybe we should go back and watch it then. But it's a good year for film next year. Yeah. What Definitely. do you guys make? I tell you what, what might be quite sort of uh, quietly quite good is Ice Age. Uh, is it Ice Age Four? <laughs> oh, Ice I'm Age. excited about Ice because Age because all of the Ice Age movies have been pretty good. Yeah. So I two wasn't two wasn't. Great. I really like one. I must admit, I haven't liked the other two because they're a bit obnoxious. They all got like Queen Latifah as a kind of yeah. sassy mammoth. One was a, one <laughs> oh, was sassy mammoth. <laughs> exactly. You're like really. One was excellent. Yeah. Three, I quite. I thought three was okay. It's got some. It's got some decent gags in it. Any any film that casts um, a kids film that decides to cast Dennis Leary as its like main character, yeah. it's clearly got its brain in the right place. Yeah, but yeah. I think it got tra- it, it suffered from that sort of celeb gluttony that kids yeah. films all Dream suffer from. Just yeah. like pump it full oh, of Dream people. Yeah. Obsessed with that. You've literally got every animal has is the voice of like you know Tom Cruise. It's like what's that? What's that fish? Is it Shark's Tail? Yeah. Tale, with, yeah. Will with Will Smith, Smith Angelina Jolie, and well. Scorsese, oh, De Niro. Yeah. You, you stop seeing the characters and you just hear the voices yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just doing a list now. What do you think of Men in Black 3? Um, I think it'll be Pumpy Doo. Yeah, if it's only dirt. Yeah. Second one was dirt. The, the one redeeming feature in the, in, in the recent trailer they've revealed is that uh, Josh Brolin does an amazing impersonation of Tommy Lee Jones. Because he's playing like young t- Tommy Lee Jones in it, and it's just spot on. Mm. That's That could be funny, but. I don't know. I don't know. We're also getting a Total Recall remake next year. Yeah, I, I'm writing that off right now. I saw a minute of it at Comic Con last year. Um, they showed it uh, like a very early version with all the green screen and stuff, and it looked it looked a little uh, a little bit Len Wiseman to me. Yeah, he's the guy directing it. Uh, uh, very sort of underworld, lots of fast cuts. He's one of these modern, doesn't direct action particularly well. Like the one redeeming feature it could have is uh, Brian, Brian Cranston, Cranston playing. Um, Cohagen. Cohagen, yeah. yeah. But it's not set on Mars. No. No, that's why it's going to be a bit good. But it has got Cranston in it. It has. I, I watched, I watched, I get a couple of, I get a couple of um, Xbox World readers actually uh, to tweet me a lot saying, uh, we reckon the latest season of Breaking Bad. And I, and I have to say to them, I haven't watched it yet, but I have watched the first three episodes now and those two guys, I can tell you, Awesome! We need to get you back in the uh, <laughs> on the, the strong cast for a special one to talk about uh, Spartacus when that starts. Back yeah, on. right. Yeah, new season of Spartacus coming in January. Yeah, oh, it's a good, it's a good year for uh, it is. Yeah, for Te- popular for, culture. This telly. movie list just gets better and better. I mean, obviously there's a Paranormal Activity four in October. <laughs> oh God! Um, and the film you've all been waiting for, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D. Oh, brilliant! But um, you've also got like you got the Red Dawn remake. Mm. You've got. <laughs> Mm, Gangster Squad, yeah, Gangster Squad would could be, be cool. Dread, Dread, Intre- that's an Judge interesting Dredd, yeah. one. So it's just Dread as played by Carl uh, Urban. Carl Urban, yeah. That's not bad casting. That's all right. I like Carl yeah. Urban. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be. He looked a bit skinny. I thought, or maybe mm. the suit was too big for him. He didn't look. Yeah. He didn't look it's, like, the prob- it's a problem with that mask, you know. Yeah. Is it kind of what looks quite cool because it's got no like depth on the page when you actually see it because. It has to hang so far in front yeah. of the face that it can look like their head's lost inside it. Yeah. And the big film of next Christmas is um, is uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino's Western, Django Unchained. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry that's, that's December 25th. There's a lot. There's an awful lot of strong yeah. stuff. A lot of action. It's a really action-heavy summer. So like, in America, December 14th is the uh, is the Hobbit. I mean, they set the release so far in advance. Yeah, like the yeah. games industry, they stick to them. So you got a version of Les Miserables. You got World War Z. You've got the Hobbit. Yeah, and you got uh, Django Unchained. World War Z, Great also Gatsby got, as well. Also got Cranston in it. 
Yeah. yeah. Cranston's there. He is. 2012's year of Cranston, man, I'm calling yeah. it now. Yeah. And it's, it's about time. I mean, it's funny because this guy was a dad on Marco in the middle for like a real, real long time. Yeah, but he's properly amazing in Breaking Bad. Yeah. Like the, the, one of the best TV performances of the last 10 years, mm. easily. He's amazing. They say it's been a rest show is a real slow burn. I've never seen it, um, or rather, I have watched one episode and it depressed me so much I couldn't watch anymore. Yeah, that's the thing is that later on it gets quite. It's funny. It's funny at times. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not he, depressing. It's the way his character changes over the seasons, yeah. right? And it's and it, I tell you he really what, he settles into this life. It's one of TV's best thrillers. Yeah, it is a great thriller. It's so tense and like really tight. You know, it's a really tight thriller. Yeah, brilliantly scripted. I'd yeah, probably the whole and the whole thing, the whole kind of arc that you know, because you you start off in quite a glum place, and then he sort of pulls himself out of it, but then you know, at kind of what cost, and it's just you just know it's working towards some yeah. tragedy. It just can't. only going to be one more season, and oh, I just four. Oh, I can't wait to see how they tie up with Cranston's uh, movie career taking off the way it is. Though. Yeah, yeah, Poor old Cranston. It's a, it's a great performance. I also saw talking of films. I saw on the Facebook page some of the uh, some of the readers were talking about some. Korean. I was films. gonna. Uh, I was gonna segue neatly into that. Oh, okay. You beat me to it. Well, I was the way I was gonna do it was check this out. I was gonna go. Well, you know, uh, what's uh, what's on your movie? Uh, your movie watch your like schedules over Christmas, and you would say Mission Impossible, and yeah. you would say uh, you know um, the Girl the Dragon Tattoo probably. Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, you know, some of our readers have got uh, an interesting uh, lineup of Christmas like, movies. Yeah. Some of them are watching some like you know far some international film, bit of Korean film, and and that's when it, I kick in and go and Korean film. Korean film, interesting. Is what you would have said. Because I, Matt Castle, know a lot about Korean film. Here's the thing. For the last year, like Matt and I often do lunch. And um, on these lunch times, Matt Castle will tell me about the, most, the Korean film he's watched. And <laughs> invariably, you watch a Korean film like once a week, right? Well, at a time, earlier in the year, I was watching one a day. Yeah, just just <laughs> slamming them, just going through like the yeah. entire history of Korean, uh, South Korean film, not yeah, North Korean not film. Not North Korean film. That's, you love those North Korean North film. Korean films are all a little bit kind of like, it's you know, like, it's, it's just the great bit. leader saving the day in yeah. every single film. Yeah. You know, um, apparently Kim Jong-il was like a massive movie enthusiast yeah. because he kidnapped a South Korean filmmaker back in 1978. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what his favourite films were? I hear the Freddy vs. Jason. The Freddy, Freddy Jason 13. Yeah, Freddy yeah. Movie. Yeah. Apparently Freddy vs. Jason was one of his favourites. 20,000 films he's got. 20,000 films. 20,000. I, 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 Meanwhile, I it's, it's, uh, the people who suffered underneath him didn't even have 20,000 grains of rice between that's them. That's right, yeah. That's yeah. the beauty of the North. That's why North Korea works so well. It's okay, because <laughs> you've got, you got Kim Jong-un taking over, who's the only fat man in North Korea. Yeah, that's right, yeah. The, only, the only fat man in the whole country taking over. The guy looks like the <laughs> Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, yeah. doesn't he? He looks like he's been inflated. It's the, the thing is, he will. He's going to be really upset when he listens he, to this strong. He, he probably has a dial-up internet connection, so he's probably sitting there, <laughs> right, right there, over there. He's just like got onto the internet and goes, "Oh, it's a Christmas podcast. This is a strong cast. Oh, I like the strong cast. Well, I really so like I don't song. like that posh guy and that no, one from I hate, Oxford. I, I hate those guys. But Mike's all right, except he talks too much. <laughs> so uh, just have a little listen. You'll be sitting there going, "Oh, brilliant! Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, great. Oh yeah, I claim they were crap. The Stay Puft Marshmallow Man." <laughs> Right, where are those? New, where's that nuclear bomb? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Target look, bath. Uh, yeah. So you like? I've been. I've watched a few based on your recommendation, mm. and I tell you what, South Korean film's badass. South Korean. South, South Korean film is as badass now as Hong Kong film was in the nineties. Yeah. You know when everybody was like, "Oh, you've got to watch Hong Kong action movies. They're awesome. They're like a completely different kind of movie. They got a completely different look." Mm. And all those Hong Kong directors came to Hollywood. Well, now all those South Korean directors are coming to Hollywood. Mm. Like one of them's directing Arnold Schwarzenegger in his next movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like 
that's the sort of the sort of seal of approval that Hollywood's put on these guys. Mm. It takes a hell of a lot for a director to be who's directing in a completely different language to get any recognition from Hollywood at mm. all. Mm. But now all of a sudden Hollywood's like, right, these guys are going to save our action industry. And then it all know? goes a little bit Ang Lee's Hulk. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Next thing you know, right, right. Well, until, is he, is he until South then. Korean? No, no, no. Oh, right. shot, no, no, but that's when Ang you, Lee was you like the guy who killed the Hong Kong, like the sort of directors <laughs> yeah. coming over. And that's when John Woo was like, right. Wipes off his hands. I'm headed back. I'm going to go and make myself a historical yeah. action movie in Hong Kong. Yeah. That was strong. Redcliffe. Redcliffe, great. Ooh, great. I like that film. Yeah, so Korean, you know, there's a lot of Korean films on love film. Right? Yeah, well, this, this is the thing. This is, yeah, it sort of ties neatly in as part of the new. Everyone uh, turning off at home and going, oh, this, this, this. Trust me, this is good shit. Listen, listen, I, I won't, I could talk for hours about Korean before film. Before you go like, on, I, I really... why do people want to see South Korean film? Why, before you even say where to get it, why would people want to watch it? People want to Violent, see, right? People want to see South Korean film because they're doing the kind of violence that Hollywood doesn't do anymore. South Korea isn't like desperately searching for some PG 13. And they're not doing violence for violence's sake. They're telling adult stories about nasty people, which inevitably end in violence. And Hollywood is making movies for Peter PG thirteen audience. Exactly, they're like taking all this stuff out. And the other thing, the other thing, and it's it, it's more in the thriller scene. South Korea's got a very big thriller scene, and they're all like masterful kind of technical directors, <laughs> a bit like David Fincher who did Seven and Fight Club. So what you've got to imagine, there's basically a film scene where everyone is David Fincher. <laughs> And everyone is trying to like outdo each other in terms of like stylistics and kind of like mad camera work. And these are really like clean, surgical, precise films. So it's a, it's got I and mean, it's a, it's quite a specific taste, I guess. It's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very very violent. And they do tend to end with people getting hit with uh, a variety of domestic objects. A lot of bludgeoning goes on. In a lot of movies. bludgeoning. There's not a lot of guns in these things. I'm, I I can't say a lot for of stabbing. sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this. It's actually quite. I might be wrong, but I think it's actually quite hard to get a gun in South Korea in terms of like it's not it's not like gun crime is a big oh, common so thing. Oh, so to keep it true to life. Yeah, so actually, like gangsters, it's actually quite a big deal when someone pulls a gun in these films. People are like, "Where did you get a gun from?" Like, it's cops have guns, mm. like gangsters don't. They all stab each other, so it's all knifings. It's all up close. Shoppings, like a lot of in a South Korean film, when they want to do vengeance, which they want to do a lot, or revengeance, if you want, <laughs> yeah. they have to get up close and personal. So these films tend to be quite grubby. They're not like I'm not saying if you're a fan of like Rambo and you want to see heads exploding, South Korea is not for you. They tend to be a guy doing a really horrible thing to another guy and it taking ages and you see it and it's really slow it's really painful you got, you but it's powerful the the, the the scene which just killed me and sold me on these films forever was in um, The Man From Nowhere Ajayossi yeah. is um, there's a, the mother of all knife fights and if you want to be sold on a side screen film just look up the Ajayossi A-J-E-O-O-S-I uh, mm. on YouTube and you can find a knife fight it's the mother of all movie knife fights. And what they have in the South Korean film is sort of a respect for the laws of physics that not, you know, <laughs> a lot of movies don't necessarily have. Which is to say, when you stick a knife in someone, apparently they don't drop right away. They keep, they, you know, they, they, mm. you know, it's enough to sort of put someone out a bit. They'll be like, oh, oh no, yeah. why did you do that? And it takes a lot of stabbing in that, in that knife fight to, to cut yeah. someone down. Yeah, Cutting. It, Really creative, <laughs> creative stabbing. This is the most like aggressive psycho- psychotic conversation. But if you want to have a psychotic Christmas, what should be people people be watching, and how can they watch this stuff? They can go on uh, Love Film has an app 
on 360. If you've got a Love Film subscription, I think it's any package that's five ninety nine. Everyone and above. who's got a Gold Sub has been given a two weeks free, oh. possibly on Love well, Film. There's, there's this app, and it basically streams like Love Film have a library of like four, five thousand films. And the thing is, Love Film want to say we got five thousand films, you know, because that sounds like a cool number. And the way they've achieved this, they've pumped it full of really like cheap to license world cinema. And a lot of um, thinking like, like a lot ah, of free ha, ones as well, right? Yeah, the ones which are copyrights expired. Exactly. It's all a bit, but actually, it pays off because it means they've sort of accidentally given you like an amazing kind of really strange film collection that's sitting there right on your 360 you can go in it also and this app was on the ps3 before but it's so much better on 360 because you can actually go into the genres and break them down by country so like world cinema you can go in to world cinema and there is a korean tab it's currently got 29 korean films on there mm-hmm. um all of them are pretty good apart from smart um Samaritan Girl, which is a really, really pervy film about a ch- child prostitute. Oh, um, <laughs> I wouldn't watch that one. Well, one, of those, one of those films that was made because the director was like, slightly old, not quite child, like teen, but it's quite. Some of it's quite close to the bone. But yeah. it has got the dad does does dish out some beatings. Right. He basically <laughs> goes around. He finds a list of all the guys his daughter is kind of shacked up with. It's this mm. prostitute. Just goes around beating them. But it's got this tremendous scene where he goes into this guy. He follows this guy home from work, and outside his house, he's like, "I know what you did. You know why did you do this? Why did you do this? You know you're a foul man. You, you know you've disrespected your family." And he's like, "I'm not talking to you." And he goes into his house. The guy follows him in and like basically shouts at him in front of his family while they're eating dinner about this sort of child prostitute thing until he throws himself out the window. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> horrific scene. It's like one of the most passive... He just literally stands there staring at him, sort of going, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Why did you do it? Until he kills himself. Right. Um, so... That one's a joy. Yeah, <laughs> this is all stuff you should uh, download on Christmas Day. Hey, this is this Get is the whole uh, family round. I guess I suggest if there's one film you watch on that list, watch a film called The Chaser, which is a uh, it's a it's a sort of serial killer thriller about a pimp who's um, basically there's been a range of serial killings. Someone's killing prostitutes, sort of taking them away, and one of his one of his women uh, goes missing. And he accidentally, like, I won't say how, but he basically, like, the, the, the serial killer gets stopped halfway through killing the woman and gets arrested through various events. But the police haven't got, don't know he's a serial killer. He gets arrested for some minor, like, traffic offence. So, um, basically, the, 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 the pimp has uh, 12 hours before they let the serial killer out to find his, his prostitute. He's chasing the, the girl who's been taken before the serial killer is let go to finish her off mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's incredibly tense. It's played out over one night, really grubby, kind of in the underbelly. I don't know what city it is, but it's this big, big kind of sprawling city. The serial killer is a horrific performance. I mean, the man is, you know, he, there's no messing with it. There's a scene where he has with this female detective where she's interviewing him, and he says some of the most horrific things with this look on his face, like he couldn't hurt a fly. And it's also got some of the... Uh, his, his M.O. is he uses a chisel to kill people. All right. So he doesn't stab you, he holds you down, and he chisels your head in. I, and when I say... But it sounds grubby, but it's not like it does. It's not exploitative, you know. You know, in Hollywood, does eighteen? They do like Hostel, and it's really gloating. Yeah. Like in this film, you can see women get chopped up. I'm going to stick a hook through a girl. Ha ha ha! They don't do that. They go, "This man is a horrific man. He does horrific Here's things." Here's why you gotta hate this guy. This is why you hate this guy. Here's what's at stake. If they don't catch him, he's going to do this thing to this person. And it's, it's so tense. Uh, it's it's absolutely. It's one of the best films I've seen this year. Really good. The Chaser. Excellent. Check it out. Check mm-hmm. it. Check it out. Also, and if you're, if you're looking for it, there's a thing called City of Violence as well, which I really like. I think you've seen Good it. Good title. 
Yeah, that's the one with the, the big fight in the, the big fight in the town. Oh, it was a bit comedy fight, I thought. It's a little bit comedy fight, but it's got a great knife fight at the end. That no, film. I'm not mad keen on comedy Who's fights. Who's the actor that a lot of people might know from uh, Lost Planet? I can't... Oh, this is terrible. This is this is my awful thing. I, I'm not actually very good at pronouncing the names, uh, my, so I don't know the pronunciation uh, of these it, things. You know, it just keeps on coming up in the strong cast that I end up talking about like relatives of my girlfriend, but my girlfriend's sister got out with a Korean guy, and... He, he's. He, I think he'll be the first to admit that like often Korean names are a bit of a struggle for Westerners. Yeah, he's Lee Byung Byung Hun. Yeah, who was uh, he was the main guy in Brit- Bittersweet Life. He's one of the biggest stars in. South he's Space huge. I mean, the guy is like he's a handsome devil. Yeah, yeah, and he's also not afraid to do incredibly violent things. You imagine Tom Cruise didn't mind playing serial killers. He'd be this guy, and he was, and he's also in the GI Joe movie, which was like his movie. Yeah, he in the plays um, Storm Shadow. Storm, uh, yeah. Terrible, terrible movie, and he's <laughs> but he's actually the only person who's good in it. So you know, there's he and he's like I say a massive, massive star. Is there anything that people would want to check out of his stuff? Yeah, you want to check out uh, yeah Bittersweet Life if you haven't seen it, where he plays a um, a sort of bodyguard to the boss's mole. Uh, but that's woman, not like mole. Yeah, not his mole on his face. Yeah, or a mole like that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a weird film. I wouldn't put it past the Koreans. Um, uh, but he... Racist. No, no, that's not racist. No? No, no. The thing about... <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, no, it's no, not. no, no. Honestly, no, here, here's not. the strangest thing. The, the weirdest thing about Korean film, and this isn't a generalisation, is that they tend to go off like on massive tangents when you least expect it. Well, so, the, the one Korean film everyone I think is perhaps most likely to have seen is Old Boy. Yeah. That is Tangent City. Like, you cannot... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, if you think you know where that film's going at any given point, you you definitely yeah, I, are going to be surprised by the next I've scene. I've seen, well, this is the thing, A Bittersweet Life for 45 minutes is quite a sweet romance drama where he's sort of looking after his his gangster's girl, his boss's girlfriend, and you're like, he's showing her the love. You know, this is going to be one of those the love that could never be yeah. kind of storylines. But turns out, boss finds out, doesn't like him getting with the girl, and forces him to do some extreme vengeance. Oh. Um, but it's very, very cool, very like yeah. operatic. The guy who uh, directed it did uh, also did, I think, the Good, the Bad, and the Weird, uh, which is um, also got this the Lee Byung Bung Hun in it, which is um, basically. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Except play, it's a Korean western. It's played big time for laughs. Uh, really, really mad. But he plays the bad guy in it. A lot of cutting in that. Uh, then he's in another film, which is also brilliant, which I completely forgot about, called um, I Saw the Devil. Now, if you like, if you like proper nasty vengeance thrillers, I Saw the Devil is about a cop who's hunting down the serial killer who's killed his wife catches him about half an hour in, spends the next two hours or hour and a half letting him go, catching him again, doing something horrible, letting him go, catching him again, doing something horrible. It's the guy from Bittersweet Life as the cop. It's the guy from Old Boy as the serial killer. Mm. It is... I watched it on my birthday. That was my birthday treat to myself. I watched it with my friends. Very awkward because it was horrible and none of them liked it. But um, it's really cool. And he's the director, incidentally, whose name I can't remember, is the guy who's doing the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Oh, okay. He's a great director. He's probably my favourite Korean director. I can't remember his name because uh, I'm, I'm a phony when it comes to these things. So, But that's also on the, on the service. But be very brave. Don't watch it with your, your parents or children around because that one, uh, they'll do a lot of growing up and fast. <laughs> <laughs> so you go, uh, Tim. Oxford, good for book learning, not so good for letting you pronounce, uh, yeah, teach no, you yeah. pronounce names of people from different countries. Old Lee Byung Hung. Thank you for indulging my little South Korea thing. It's a subject very dear to my heart. Yeah. No, I, I like it. I, think, I genuinely think you probably are one of the UK's foremost experts on South Korean uh, films. I've only watched the trashy thrillers, though. 
anything anything gets political, I um, I stay away. You said a while back you re- you read something someone wrote about South Korean film, and they were saying like, "Oh, here's what South Korean film is." And you're like, "No, no, it is absolutely." Oh, it's not. not. The problem is everyone knows Old Boy, and yeah. everyone's like, "This is what Old Boy is about." But actually, there's a you know the really interesting stuff is is where they mash up like different genres like comedy, extreme violence, mostly extreme violence plus something that isn't extreme violence: comedies, musicals. I once saw a uh, I saw a film about an undercover cop who's in a school posing as a girl, and it's a little unique. It's uh, she is a girl, but she's posing as a schoolgirl, like that Drew Barrymore. Uh, yeah, film. Drew Barrymore, just, yeah. like, just like a Drew Barrymore. Except girl. every once in a while, she kicks someone's head in with the uh, music from uh, uh, you know the I'm the Lord of the Dance. <laughs> yeah, I am the Lord of the Dance. Yeah. That plays every time she's beating someone up for dance, no reason. Dance, whatever he may be. Yeah, I am the, yeah. that's their fight theme for no reason. Honestly, if you've got two weeks to spare, you know, if you've got a long Christmas break and you've got a love film thing, watch all those 29 films and you'll actually have a really good foundation for what current sort of South Korean cinema is at. So and that's that go. then, folks. There Top tip. Let's get out of here. It's Christmas time. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, another great year. and Thanks for reading the mag over the, over the course of the year. Thanks for sticking with us through the changes. We've changed uh, a lot this year, as you know, but, but I think... With a bit of luck, we're still producing uh, the kind of content you guys really love. Uh, it's, as you can tell, it's not in Tim's absence. Tim's still very much involved. We've got uh, Matt Castle here. I think we've got genuinely the best team we've ever had. The team's never been so huge. And no, right. that Joker pellet on Games Master. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you, Matt Castle said it. <laughs> and, then, and that's that. On that negative note. <laughs> oh, that's, it seems like a sour note to go out on. Well, you said it. I, I don't really mean it. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy yeah, Merry Christmas, Christmas everyone. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see you in the new year. We'll be back. But uh, don't, hassle, don't hassle us on Facebook because we're not entirely sure when we'll be back in the year. <laughs> as early as possible, anyway. As early as possible. We'll be back every Friday, every uh, other Friday. Uh, we'll definitely try and squeeze out two more in February. In January, rather. Squeeze them out. Squeeze them out. See you soon, folks. Bye. Bye-bye. Farewell.